Hi, welcome to our podcast. I am Jason. And I'm Jimmy. And it has been another week, and we are we are at episode six of our podcast. I didn't know that we would make it this far, but I am very happy that we did. Me too. I am very glad we've been keeping up this uh, regular schedule. It's been a, a, over a month now. Very exciting. Yeah, I feel like everybody's trying to find something fun to do or something unique to do during these times right now since a lot of stuff's closed and it doesn't seem like travel's going to be normal and stuff. So yeah, having this podcast, rewatching one of my favorite animes definitely has been, uh, been very fun for me. Oh, same here. Especially being on just a regular schedule again is something to be thankful for. Yeah, because sometimes the days do seem to run together and it's like... Like having some kind of benchmark on your schedule or something like, oh, I got, I have to do this uh, on every Friday or I have to do this every Sunday and I have to do this every Wednesday. It kind of helps helps you keep like in, in line. Otherwise, like earlier this earlier this week, I actually thought it was April for a little while. So like that's how bad the calendar or how, how bad time is kind of blending together for me. I've never forgotten the month. I have, though, thought I've been in different days of the week. Yeah, that happens, too. And then when the weekend hits, like, it just seems like, especially, like, me having to work from home and stuff, there's no differentiator between weekend and weekday. So it, it gets really, uh, really crazy. But, no, it's, I love having this podcast. It was a little hot in San Francisco this weekend, but we uh, we managed to go to the park, the dog and I, so that was pretty fun. It's been a little muggy over here. We've been getting the off and on rain here in Texas, so I've been trying to enjoy it as much as I can. Cool. Yeah, it's. I hear it's starting to, things are starting to normalize in Texas a little bit, or in Austin anyway. I don't know about the whole state. Uh, Austin's kind of its own world. To those of you out there who have never been to Austin or Texas, uh, Austin is kind of like its own little uh, oasis in the middle of Texas that kind of follows its own logic and rules as much as it can. I mean, obviously they can't over, they can't override state legislation, but what, when it comes to their own, they're kind of like their own beast. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a, I guess a little oasis from everything else. Yeah. I, I kind of, so there are days when I definitely miss living there and hanging out and stuff. I do enjoy being here and kind of the new stuff here and, it's been almost three years, but it's been pretty fun overall. But I, there's Austin's always gonna have a special place in my heart, especially all the great food. Oh yeah, you can't beat the food here, the barbecue and every crazy fusion restaurant that wants to pop up over here. Can't can't beat that. Yeah, I've always said that the worst barbecue in Texas or the worst barbecue in Austin's better than anything we have here in the Bay area. And I stand by that statement. Uh, I'll stand by it with you. We are going to jump into this episode and like fair warning. This is probably the heaviest episode, if not one of the heaviest that full metal alchemist has to offer. Uh, but it is actually very crucial as you know, it's a, it's, kind of the linchpin that starts moving things forward and starts driving certain people's motivations and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, let's just jump right into it. So, episode 10, Separate Destinations. So it kind of starts with this flashback at the beginning around the Ishvalan War, 
and we see Mustang and a variety of other alchemists there, as well as foot soldiers doing their soldier duty, unfortunately, being that they are killing other people and whatnot, and we're seeing the alchemists use their ability. In, in particular, we are seeing Mustang using his flame alchemy, but there's almost a reluctance to it when he's using it. Like, his hands are shaking and stuff, so he's kind of in that just-following-order stance, but he clearly disagrees with it. Then it kind of goes over to a, a voiceover of Mustang saying that he'll do anything he can to protect the people he loved, and then they'll protect the people they love, and they'll protect the people they love. Then Hughes kind of admits, like, oh, that sounds like a pyramid scheme, and he's like, well, it's not. But then Hughes says, no, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but you need to get to the top of the pyramid in order to start that. So he needs to become the Fuhrer of the nation, and then he can start with his whole plan. So Mustang decides to focus his life or his goal from that point on to one day becoming Fuhrer, climbing through the ranks. And when he is Fuhrer, he wants to change the world to where it is no longer war-bound, and instead more compassionate, and that's kind of a flashback, and that kind of establishes a little bit about the nature of Hughes and Mustang's relationship, and also what is motivating Mustang right now. Flashback to common days, or uh, current, flashback to current time. We see Ed is recovering in the hospital from his fight at the Fifth Laboratory. He's just about patched up. He's speaking with Hughes and Armstrong, giving him all the information he can about the people who attacked the lab and who burnt it down to the ground. Uh, he points out the two people with the Ouroboros tattoos, so the homunculi, lust and envy, as we know them. And Fuhrer Bradley stops by. He seems pretty supportive. It was a surprise uh, drop-in. But he also is aware of their investigation into the lab and into the uh, into the Philosopher's Stone, all of that stuff. So Mustang kind of warns them to stop digging too deep, or they'll find something they don't want to find. Uh, it was it 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 didn't come across as like a violent threat. Like he would do something to them as much as he they might upset somebody and it might hurt them or something to that effect. Ed and Al decide they'll head to Dublith or Dublith in order to visit with their former alchemy teacher and learn more about the Philosopher's Stone, see if the alchemy teacher knows anything. Uh, in route, they would have to cross a town called Rush Valley. And this is really like a mecca for automail. So naturally, Winry wants to join them so that they can stop by and see what they can find around there. So the three of them head off to the train. Meanwhile, Hughes is investigating stuff, and he is looking into the current Lidoist riot in real. Uh, this is this is to recap where Father Cornello was doing his bidding, and he ultimately wound up scamming people with his religion. So apparently that resulted in a kind of uprising of not nearly the same scale as Ishval, but definitely very bloody. So when he's investigating it, he starts looking into other attacks throughout the history of the country of Amestris and realizes that there is something terrible going on in senior leadership. 
At that point, Lust comes out of the shadows and attacks Hughes. Hughes manages to get the drop on Lust and throw one of his throwing knives into her skull, but not without her stabbing him through the shoulder. He stumbles out of his room, or out of his uh, office. He starts to uh, make his way to the phone so that he can call Mustang, but then he decides, oh, the phones in the office may be tapped, so I need to call from an external line. He goes outside, he goes to a uh, payphone. Uh, that's a little dating there about how old the show is. But he goes, he goes to a payphone and he tries to dial Mustang. Just then, he sees Maria Ross behind him with a gun. But he realizes that's not really Maria Ross, because Maria Ross has a mole under her eye, and this Maria Ross doesn't, and it's actually Envy who has the ability to shapeshift. Hughes is about to finish Envy, but then Envy shapeshifts into Hughes' wife, which causes Hughes to naturally slow down or stop, because he's shocked to see his wife standing in front of him. At that point, he pulls the gun and shoots and kills Mays Hughes. We fast forward a little bit to the funeral of Hughes and his daughter is crying because she doesn't really comprehend what's going on. Why, why is daddy being buried? He has work to do and whatnot. Everybody obviously starts to cry as you would expect. Uh, Mustang, you know, starts to cry inevitably, but he tries to hide his feelings by saying it's raining outside when there's obviously not a drop of rain but that allows him to uh, show his vulnerability a little bit while still hiding it. He runs into Armstrong. They have a casual conversation. Armstrong says that he cannot tell Mustang what was found because, well, he just give a reason. He just says he can't. Mustang's able to surmise from the conversation that somebody who outranks Mustang must have given Armstrong the order not to speak. On top of that, it must be about the Philosopher's Stone because he mentions the Ed the Elric brothers. And what the Ed Elric brothers are looking into is the Philosopher's Stone. So he puts together that somehow whatever happened, whatever Hughes stumbled upon, had something to do with the Philosopher's Stone and something to do with a conspiracy amongst the senior leadership. And so this kind of gives Mustang further resolve. He is ready to get transferred to Central City and start investigating the death of Hughes while also keeping his promise to become better, become the Fuhrer, and make this country a better place. So, Jimmy, what what were your thoughts on this very heavy episode? Well, as our listeners should know by now that Hughes is one of my favorite characters in this series. And it was very difficult to watch him go. I was very upset. I am. I was looking at how many episodes there are. There's around like 64 episodes in the series. And we're losing Hughes at like episode 10. I'm like, how can I go on without Hughes? But I just hope his death isn't in vain. That is definitely true. I hope, like, it, it, it's pretty early for them to kill 
a beloved character like we barely get to see Hughes it's only 10 episodes in I think he may have made some kind of appearance and maybe in about only half of them so it's like okay we barely got to know him but we also just developed this an emotional attachment to him because of how small of a guy he is and how helpful he is to the Elric brothers and even Ed mentions that Hughes came by and visited him every day while he was in the hospital so Hughes is just this great guy. He's a stand-up guy. Everybody loves him. And then he just dies so early. Obviously, it seems like this is something that's going to light the fire. That's going to kind of move the story forward. It's giving it's giving Mustang more of an ambition to try to figure out the corruption within the government. And he inevitably is also going to have followers who are going to allow him to do that and enable him and keep everything going. So it, it is kind of a catalyst, I would say, in terms of moving the story forward. That being said, it is very sad. That is one of the few animated characters I've seen die that like really affected me. And just in like the opening of this episode, we see uh, Mustang and Hughes. They must go, I don't know how I don't remember how long ago the war was, but they seem to go way back since uh, that scene where they're talking to each other about uh, how if we protect the ones we love or protect those people and they protect the ones they love. And now we're all protecting each other. And then he looks up at uh, Bradley and that's where he gets like that moment where he's like, I'm going to change this whole system. And Hughes is like, I'm with you. So I, I, Hughes and Mustang must go way back. I can't remember if they say it specifically in the anime, but it's kind of implied that they go back to when both of them started in the military. And it seems like Hughes outranks Mustang. So at some point, I'd like to think that Hughes was maybe a mentor to Mustang because at the end, they mentioned that Hughes was uh, posthumously awarded the title of Brigadier General, which is one of the top titles that we find in this in this uh, ranking. And so for him to get that, I, he must have already been pretty high up. He was already working in Central. So I, I kind of feel like Hughes may have even been a mentor to Mustang, you know, as Mustang just started entering the army as a, as a state alchemist and trying to help him navigate through the city or, or navigate through the uh, politics of it all and how to make things work and whatnot. Yeah. I just, uh, it seems like they, they started on a, like together and maybe they went on separate paths because Mustang is more of a, a fighter, I guess. Cause he's an alchemist and Hughes isn't an alchemist. Yeah. From what I remember. So maybe they just uh, took two different paths, but, Oh, Hughes's death is really, it really bums me out. <laughs> Sorry, go back to it. But I have the suspicion that Bradley's in on the on his death. And I don't know. I we've only seen one person shapeshift, if I if that's remember like Envy is the only one we've seen take on a different form. Is that correct? Yeah, he has the ability to shapeshift as we've seen in a few other episodes. So I'm wondering if, I don't know, Envy shapeshift as Bradley 
in that one scene where uh, he talks to them in the hospital room. I don't know. I'm just like, I'm suspicious of Bradley right now. I'm saddened by Hughes's death, which is far more sad because in that in this episode, we see him like say goodbye to his daughter at the door. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, the feels. Yeah. Yeah. And the the funeral part is the worst, too, in my mind, just because she's she clearly doesn't comprehend what has happened because she's asking like, why is he being buried? Uh, he has work to do. Then she starts crying. Why are they burying him? Like she doesn't comprehend that he's gone for good. And she's still like really young. She's only three too. So she has to grow up without a dad, a dad who is on top of that murdered because everybody knows that's what happened. Now granted, I don't know if they've revealed that to the daughter yet, but it's clear that the wife knows that that's how he was killed. Like he was found bloodied shot in a phone booth. That's clearly a a murder right there. So it's just that whole scene and people crying at the funeral and just putting them to rest. Like this is definitely one of the heavier moments in the series largely we've seen death before we've seen i mean just at the beginning of the episode we see flashbacks of the ishvalan civil war and citizens being burnt and regular people getting burnt so we've seen death before but it 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 seems like it's a lot of nameless faces so to speak uh with what we've seen so far it's just kind of like the horrors of war this is the first time i feel where we've had to see somebody that we've actually grown fond of die yeah and it seems like oh we shouldn't have gotten attached to this character but he is the heart like he no matter what's going on he seems to have just the uh like this optimistic outlook on how things are gonna be and yeah it's just uh man it's it, it is a very hard episode uh i just always I mean, I've seen this a billion times, and it still hits. I always say that this is one of the most tragic deaths in the series. Granted, there are plenty of them, but I would definitely put this in like the top three, if not the top most tragic death. It, it always hits me, and, it, and just the fact that the Elrics aren't even in town when it happens. So at some point, they have to find out. So seeing where that happens or I, I just, just knowing that that is coming down the pipeline and seeing how they are going to deal with it because you know they're going to blame themselves because obviously mustang or not mustang sorry hughes was killed for investigating like one of the last thing conversations they had with hughes prior to them boarding the train was talking about oh we need to investigate this whole uh, this whole thing. We need to investigate, the, figure out who these people are who attacked the Philosopher's Stone, what happened, or not, uh, who the people are who created the Philosopher's Stone, where the researchers are, why was the lab blown up, why is the lab off the record, all of that fun stuff. He said he'd look into it, and then when they come back, he's dead, so murdered. So you know they're going to feel a lot of guilt over it when they finally find out. Yeah, it's uh, we get to unfortunately experience this all twice because they're going to find out soon 
or I don't know if it's soon, but they're going to find out eventually. So we get to, ex- I guess, experience this uh, again through uh, their eyes. And I guess, uh, oh, Winry, Winry's going to have to find out too. And it feels like she's become so close to the family recently. Like they, they were very open to letting her stay at the house. And that that obviously, they grew some level of bonding. He, they were presumably there for weeks. I know, you know, this is only seems like a few episodes, but in the uh, in-universe timeline, I think it's been a few weeks. And they did, they grew together and he loves their family. And you could even tell he was really excited. Not he, uh... You can even tell that Winry was really excited about learning the recipes and how much fun it was spending time with that family and everything. So, yeah, she's going to be very hurt, too. So when they get back and it's finally revealed to them at some point, it's just going to crush them. And I just do not envy them at all in that in that aspect. Uh, Same. But I do like how. Um, when Armstrong goes to talk to Mustang and Mustang's kind of asking these questions. He's like, I can't answer this. I can't answer what you're asking me. And I can't answer why I can't answer. And then he, he tells like the Elric brothers were in town for a while and they didn't find what they're looking for. And then right after he leaves, Mustang does his Sherlock Holmes thing and deduces like, Oh, I've actually deciphered Armstrong's words, and like he he may he unknowingly let us know all this. But I wonder if Armstrong also knows that people can't be trusted, and he's like secretly letting Mustang know, um, kind of all the information without outright saying it. Yeah, that w- that was one thing that was interesting was that he kind of threw out that the Elrics were around, kind of as an aside. Uh, on his way walking, he was just like, oh, by the way, the Elrics were here. They continued their investigation and they head out. And that, that was just kind of a weird aside. But you could tell he was kind of purposely dropping that knowledge because he knew Mustang would be able to deduce, oh, there must have been some connection between the El- the Elrics and their Philosopher's Stone investigation and the death of Hughes. I'm just, I'm ready for some revenge. I don't know how we're going to get it because Hughes threw a dagger in Lust's forehead and she's like alive still. So mm-hmm. I don't know how we're going to get rid of these guys, but... I'm ready to find out. Yeah, this was definitely a episode that that has me ready to see where things are going to go. It is definitely established that there is something afoot going on in the senior leadership in this country, not just you know a, a secret conspiracy group or an off group. Like the, it seems like it is somebody who is actually in power who is causing all of this, which is even scarier because then it makes you wonder. Okay, well, what are the role of these state alchemists? Like, why do the government want state alchemists if they are doing all of this underground stuff, such as attaching people's souls to armor, creating philosopher's stones out of prisoners, all of that stuff. And then now killing one of their own just to keep things covered up. So 
yeah, I'm, I do want to see somebody get their comeuppance, but I also want to see where this goes, how everything gets unraveled, what we learn, and how it ties into the greater story. Because we still have like 50 some odd episodes left. So, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for what's next. I hope this doesn't derail the brothers when they find out. Uh, I just hope, uh, I don't know. I hope more action, more stuff. If Armstrong dies, I'm attaching myself to Armstrong. Now my love for Hughes is going to go straight to Armstrong. If Armstrong goes, I'm out. I don't know what else. Yeah. Hopefully we get to hold on to him because he is definitely the nice guy to the, the very fun comic relief yet giant with the heart of gold type of character. So we can move on. It's just to episode 11, Miracle at Rush Valley. So in this episode, we're catching up with what the Elrics are up to, Elrics plus Winry. They arrive in Rush Valley. As I mentioned, it was a mecca of automail. So it's just a lot of automail mechanics, automail generators or creators, uh, manufacturers, and also a lot of people in the city have automail, which is a very interesting thing that just in this world, automail is super commonplace. Now, while they are being admired or Ed's being admired for his arm, they get robbed by a girl named Panina. I, I keep wanting to call her Panini, but I think it's Panina. She... She robs Edward of his uh, pocket watch that he got when he became a state alchemist. So it's it's almost like a badge for a state alchemist. So having that stolen is not a good thing. Somebody in the village mentions, oh, it must be Panina because she's known for robbing or pickpocketing people who come to the village. And so they make chase to where she is. Uh, they mention, oh, she lives over by master dominic's house and he lives out on the outskirts of town so they head out there they're able to run into panina and full-on alchemist battle takes place as they try to capture her she winds up escaping though because lo and behold two of her legs or both of her legs rather they are auto mill one has a blade kind of attached to it that was able to cut through the bars that they created to lock her in Whereas the other one has a one and a half inch cannon, I believe they said, which she was able to fire at the brothers to kind of evade them. Winry winds up catching them, though, or catching her. They catch her right outside of the Lecult home, and that is where Dominic lives. He's the patriarch, and he is an automail expert. Uh, there's also his son, Riddell, and Satella, his uh, Riddell's wife. Satella is pregnant, which is going to be important later in this episode. They kind of hang out. They talk. Uh, Dominic takes a look at Ed's arm. He's curious about it. And he mentions that it may be a little heavy. And that's why Edward might be so short. Winry wants to be his apprentice so that she can learn to be a auto male master just like him. And he denies it. He just doesn't take... He just doesn't take uh, apprentices. Like, it's it's nothing personal. He just doesn't like having an apprentice. A storm hits, and would you know it, Satella goes into labor. There's no way a doctor is going to make it to the house on his own, so Dominic heads to the city to pick them up. 
or pick up the doctor. Well, there's just no time to wait for the doctor to show up, especially with this huge storm. So now they have to deliver the baby. Winry takes charge, delivers the baby for them. Doesn't, I mean, she doesn't know what she's like. This is the first baby she's ever had to deliver in her life, but she's still able to, she's still able to figure this out, make it work and deliver a very healthy baby boy. I believe it was a boy. Dominic returns and he's like, oh, hey, uh, we were, I'm so happy that you're able to help give, help my uh, grandson come into this world. I'm still not going to take it as a princess, but I know of a good auto mail expert at the base of the mountain. I will put in a good word for you and he can help you out. And I guess if you want to come and watch me work every now and again, that's fine. Now, while this is all happening, I should also mention Winry finds Ed's pocket watch and she realizes that it is welded shut. So, you know, her natural curiosity gets to her and she wants to pry it open. So she gets a bunch of tools and manages to pry it open and she sees engraved inside, don't forget, 3 October 11. And she kind of gets sad because she realizes, oh, that's the day that they burned down the house and left. So later in the episode, she confronts Ed about that. And Ed mentions, you know, this was this pocket watch is one of the last memories that he has of his past life. But also it's like that memory of the promise they made to find a way to restore their bodies that pocket watch kind of embodies that memory so that's why it was so important to get back it wasn't just the fact that it was essentially his badge as a as a state alchemist but because of what it represented to him personally so winry decides to stay behind in rush valley a little bit while the brothers consider on to dublith and that is our episode this was a great relief from last episode it was a lot of fun i enjoyed seeing the characters in kind of out of their element or at least ed and al out of their element and we see winry in her natural habitat yeah definitely a good point they are in their own element or they're out of their element because they're in this auto mail city like they it's a city full of auto mail experts winry's losing her mind because she just sees all the different types of auto mail all the different setups different use cases this is a city of not just auto mail experts but people who just use auto mail in a day-to-day and it's considered a completely normal thing i mean really when we think back to the East and Central City outside of Edward, we don't really see anybody with auto mail. So this is probably not incredibly common. So the fact that she was able to be around it was amazing. And obviously the brothers didn't care all that much. And Ed definitely wasn't happy when he lost his his uh, pocket watch because he thought, well, this was a waste of time if we never came to hit this place uh this never would have happened and we'd be well on our way back to dublith but it was definitely nice to see to see a episode that was more winry focused more focused on winry the character and what she brings to the table more than just being kind of like oh that's edward's love interest or their best friend or anything like it gives her her own character 
I agree. I love when they first enter the town and all the people are surrounding Ed, um, basically ripping his clothes off to look at the auto mail. And Winry is just loving it because it's her work, which is great because it's they're looking at it so closely like they've never seen that style before. They're fascinated. Someone even like they they withhold information to get a closer look at Ed's auto mail and which is just shows how good of a um, I don't know what, what would you call it, like an auto mail maker Winry is that people who do this for a living are like fascinated with her work. Yes. Yes, that is very true. And then also it's just the whole, she is so good at this, but she still doesn't think she's so good. And the fact that she wants to be with this master so she can learn even more is that was a very interesting juxtaposition to me in the sense that, all these experts say, wow, this is a really great work on the auto mill. But at the same time, she's like, oh, I really need to find an expert to teach me. So she's come a long way with her uh, for her age, but she still has room to grow. It, it, it definitely shows the humanity of, of her. Like I always hate in cartoons or in anime, really in any kind of fiction, when a character has unexplained powers or just unexplained skill and there's no growth like this was one of the biggest complaints i had about the recent mulan movie was that in the original mulan she had to she had to grow into her skills and she had to learn how to think and how to use the use her head so she can climb up on to get that uh to get the arrow from the pole and outweigh everything whereas this mulan was like was like a mutant from X-Men or something. Like she was just born with these amazing skills where she can kick a spear into somebody's chest and whatever. You know, I feel like if they just left Winry as, oh, she's a prodigy, she's an expert at auto mail, I don't know what if it would have helped hit me the same way as it was. Yes, she is a prodigy, but she still has a ways to learn. She she acknowledges it, she wants to get better. I, I really enjoyed that human aspect of her as well. It, it was great. And it was especially great seeing Winry fangirl out over. I do. I also wanted to call her Panini. What is it? Panina. Panina. Yes. Over Panina's auto mail. And who is like, I'm going to give you a cannon in one of your legs. Like, I don't understand that, but it was awesome. Was this an like a aftermarket upgrade or something like that? Uh, that Dominic is the one who gave her the auto mail, and I just can't see him given putting that in her legs for no real reason. At the flip side, I guess he could. I guess it might make sense, seeing that she, you know, probably is a younger girl living in this kind of rougher area, rougher city, full of. I guess rougher tape men. Maybe she he figures. Oh, she needs a way to protect herself. Uh, we do learn in the episode that she lost both of her legs in a train accident that also took her parents from her. And he kind of just adopted her off the street because she was essentially a beggar, and he thought she looked pathetic in his own words. And he picked her up and gave her auto mail and has essentially been to helping take care of her since. 
I did find it strange when he picks up this little girl and she's like screaming, like he's taking me or something like that. And it just seems like the background characters are just like, yeah, he is taking you. Like no one is rushing up. Yep. He just scooped her out. He's like, you look sad and you make your, your existence upsetting me. And he scoops her out. We find out that he's going to help her, but it does seem at that moment, an outside person looking in being like, no, that girl just got scooped up by that man. I wonder how often that happens. Nobody seemed to be all that concerned about this older guy taking away a little girl off the street. So wondering how often that happens or if that's just talking about how, what kind of world they live in where this is just commonplace and nobody cares, or maybe we're just reading too much into it. Either way, it's still kind of a fun thought. I do. I think about it, then I'm like, maybe Dominic is well-known in the community. People seem to know him. They probably were like, oh, that girl doesn't have any legs. He's probably just going to build her some legs, because that's the kind of person Dominic is. Yeah, probably. He definitely gives off that jerk with the heart of gold kind of vibe, in the sense that he's never super kind to anybody, but you can tell by his behavior that he genuinely cares about people. I like that. It's almost that thing where he's like, you, the way you are is upsetting me. And the only way to make me happy is to just help you out. So it's like that, that thing where he's like, I only do this so that I can move in this world better without seeing you. But it is like hiding that heart of gold. He has exactly. I, I did like him as a character. I'm a little sad that Winry didn't get to have the apprenticeship with him. Kind of, it reminds me and I, I always, in my mind, I'm always doing these comparisons between Avatar and Full Metal Alchemist. I don't know if the, there's not a ton of thread to put between them aside from the fact that I like both of them a lot. But it kind of reminds me of the the Paku episode a little bit, where he, where uh, where where uh, Katara is trying to get the apprenticeship, but she doesn't get it. Obviously, the situations are different. There's a uh, more sexism in the Avatar uh, world, whereas here was more just he doesn't like having apprentice. So, but it, at the same time, but but yeah, but at the end, he kind of concedes. He's like. She's like, can I come visit you? And he's like, well, I can't stop you if you want to just watch me work. So he kind of is given in after Winry delivers his granddaughter, which is like amazing in itself. But he gives in after that slightly. He does a little bit saying, hey, I'll give you a word. Or I'll put in the good word for you with this other guy who is really great. He doesn't. He doesn't exactly say... You can visit me as much as he just doesn't deny her when she says, oh, uh, well, can I come and watch you work sometime? And he says something like, ah, well, I won't stop you from coming by. Yeah. And uh, oh, my gosh. Panina. I guess Panina doesn't live with him, which I thought she did at the beginning of the episode, because at the end when he's like, "Uh, Winry, you can just come over and visit my granddaughter if you want and if you watch me work then that's whatever and he was like the tomboy can come over too i assume that panina was living with them but i guess she lives on her own and just brings tries to bring him money 
or whatnot. Probably, because it seems like his son and daughter-in-law seem to know exactly who she was and as if she comes by pretty often. And even the the those uh, mechanics in the city in Rush Valley mentioned, oh, she's over by Dominic. So she clearly spends a lot of time there. Yeah. Oh, uh, before I forget, an- another thing I loved in this episode is um, when Dominic does go up to Ed and be like, oh, I think your auto mail is, is heavy. This could probably be stunting your growth. And Ed's like, so I could be taller and then we get the the dream sequence of Ed way tall, taller than Al in, in the armor suit, which I love that. He's like, man, if I didn't have this, I would be this tall. It's hilarious. But I love that he d- he does not blame Winry at all for it. He's not like Winry. This is your fault. I'm not tall. He is basically he's like, Dominic, you need to take her in. So that she could fix my armor so I can become tall. He never is like, this is your fault. I did like that part where he's just kind of chill about it. And he's he's actually elated because he's like, oh, this is what's holding me back. And I think it also makes him happy because now he doesn't have to think about milk because he hates drinking milk. And everybody's like, well, if you don't drink <laughs> your milk, you're gonna you're not going to grow. Where now he can say, oh, it has nothing to do with milk. It's uh, this, this auto mail is too heavy and it's just weighing my body down. I cannot wait for Milk to come back in this anime. Milk is like that secret nemesis that I love to just show up again. Uh, I miss Milk. I, I did like the Winry part. I did like when, that this episode was revolving around Winry, but it also wasn't just a filler episode. I think it showed us a lot about her caring nature, her curiosity, kind of who she is as a person and not just now they're a standalone. We got to see her help bring a baby into this world. So we just see all of these different aspects of her. She's getting more dimensions. And I think this is going to be key to later episodes as she continues to play a larger role rather than just being a random person. Yeah, it's just uh, we get a lot about Winry this episode, but it's not like we don't learn anything about Ed and Al in this episode either because... We get the pocket watch stuff about the house burning down, and that's kind of one of their driving forces to continue this. We also see them when Al sees um, Dominic's daughter-in-law, and he's like, can I touch your belly? And now I'm like, can Al, Al can feel? Has that been established? Can Al feel things? No, they. That's I. I found that weird too, because it's strongly implied in the episode, or not in the episode, in the entire series, that he's not able to feel things with his hand because of what's the word I'm looking for? Like, yeah, it, it's, it's implied that he can't sleep, he can't eat, he can't feel, and so when he says, "Well, can I feel the baby?" I'm. It made me wonder, like, is What's going on? Is he able to actually feel that the writers forget about this detail? Uh, is he just trying to act like he can feel or see if he can feel because he's really curious? Maybe this is the first time he's been around a pregnant woman. I mean, they, they did grow up in kind of a remote village, but... Yeah, I was like, I, I didn't know that Al could feel. Because then that brings a whole other thing. So like every time he's getting like... Like when... Uh, oh my gosh. Now I can't remember his name. Is it Scar? I keep 
the villain. What do you call him? It? Yeah. Yeah, Scar. Okay, we haven't seen him in a while, and I almost forgot his name. But like when Scar kind of disintegrates Al's body, if you think about if he could feel, then that's got to feel extremely painful. So I I don't know what was going on, but them touching her belly kind of grounds them again, makes them think about like humanity and life and all that. So we did get like kind of a balance between like not just a full Winry episode, but we got these little little tidbits of Ed and Al. Yeah, we also got to see a little bit about the uh, the, the the pocket watch and what's motivating them and why it's so important. They want to get their bodies back. And he even mentions, you know, when they, when they flash back to them burning down the house, he's like, Oh, um, what I forgot, I forgot what his exact words were. It was some sort of the effect of oh, don't cry because we'll be back and we'll have our bodies when we do soon. So it's, he made like this commitment. So the commitment's not just to, himself and to Al, but he also made a commitment to Winry that he's going to get the body back so that he can be normal with her. Yeah, I really, I love this episode. I love a Winry side story. So this is a great, great relief from the episode 10. It's a weird juxtaposition. You go from this episode that's super heavy to an episode that's much lighter. You do actually see this happen a lot in, Full Metal Alchemist, as you have parallel stories happening to characters as they're in different parts of the world or different parts of the country. So, yeah, it's it was definitely a, a you, you get whiplash from that change. Yeah, I think that covers it. Unless you have any other thoughts for the episode. Nope, I'm just uh, just excited to see uh, what they're gonna find. I'm excited to see their teacher. I think we finally get to see their teacher. We do. We do finally get to see her, learn about her. And I do like that they are super afraid of her. Uh, I mean, it's it's hinted that they are terrified of her, that they worry what will happen when she finds out about them opening the gates and everything. So there's a lot of buildup to seeing what this teacher is all about. Cool. Well, I think that is it for this episode. We will catch you next week as we hit up episodes 12 and 13. And that will actually wrap up season one. So we look forward to you on episode seven next week. Bye. Bye.